Section 22 of Chesterfield's Letters to His Son Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter 43 London, July 1st, Old Style, 1748 Dear Boy, I am extremely well pleased with the course of studies which Mr. Hart informs me you are in now, and with the degree of application which he assures me you have to them. It is your interest to do so, as the advantage will be all your own. My affection for you makes me both wish and endeavour that you may turn out well, and according as you do turn out, I shall either be proud or ashamed of you. But as to mere interest, in the common acceptation of that word, it would be mine that you should turn out ill, for you may depend upon it, that whatever you have from me shall be most exactly proportioned to your desert. Deserve a great deal, and you shall have a great deal. Deserve a little, and you shall have but a little and be good for nothing at all, and I assure you, you shall have nothing at all. Solid knowledge, as I have often told you, is the first and great foundation of your future fortune and character, for I never mention to you the two much greater points of religion and morality, because I cannot possibly suspect you as to either of them. This solid knowledge that you are in a fair way of acquiring, you may, if you please, and I will add, that nobody ever had the means of acquiring it more in their power than you have. But remember that manners must adorn knowledge, and smooth its way through the world. Like a great rough diamond, it may do very well in a closet by way of curiosity, and also for its intrinsic value, but it will never be worn or shine if it is not polished. It is upon this article, I confess, that I suspect you the most, which makes me recur to it so often for I fear that you are apt to show too little attention to everybody, and too much contempt to many. Be convinced that there are no persons so insignificant and inconsiderable, but may some time or other have it in their power to be of use to you, which they certainly will not, if you have once shown them contempt. Wrongs are often forgiven, but contempt never is. Our pride remembers it forever. It implies a discovery of weaknesses, which we are much more careful to conceal than crimes. Many a man will confess his crimes to a common friend, but I never knew a man who would tell his silly weaknesses to his most intimate one, as many a friend will tell us our faults with reserve, who will not so much as hint at our follies, that discovery is too mortifying to our self-love, either to tell another, or be told of oneself. You must, therefore, never expect to hear of your weaknesses, or your follies, from anybody but me. Those I will take pains to discover, and whenever I do, I shall tell you of them. Next to manners are exterior graces of person and address, which adorn manners as manners adorn knowledge. To say that they please, engage, and charm, as they most indisputably do, is saying that one should do everything possible to acquire them. The graceful manner of speaking is, particularly, that I should always hola in your ears, as Hotspur holaed Mortimer to Henry the Fourth, and, like him too, I have aimed to have a starling taught to say, speak distinctly and gracefully, and send him you, to replace your loss of the unfortunate Matzel, who, by the way, I am told, spoke his language very distinctly and gracefully. As by this time you must be able to write German tolerably well, I desire that you will not fail to write a German letter, in the German character, once every fortnight, to Mr. Grevenkop, which will make it more familiar to you, and enable me to judge how you improve in it. Do not forget to answer me the questions, which I asked you a great while ago, in relation to the constitution of Saxony, and also the meaning of the words Landsassi and Amtsassi. 
I hope you do not forget to inquire into the affairs of trade and commerce, nor to get the best accounts you can of the commodities and manufactures, exports and imports of the several countries where you may be, and their gross value. I would likewise have you attend to the respective coins, gold, silver, copper, etc., and their value, compared with our coins, for which purpose I would advise you to put up, in a separate piece of paper, one piece of each kind, wherever you shall be, writing upon it the name and the value. Such a collection will be curious enough in itself, and that sort of knowledge will be very useful to you in your way of business, where the different value of money often comes in question. I am doing Cheltenham to-morrow, less for my health, which is pretty good, than for the dissipation and amusement of the journey. I shall stay about a fortnight. L'abbé Mablise, Droit de l'Europe, which Mr. Hart is so kind as to send me, is worth your reading. Adieu. Letter 44. Cheltenham, July 6th, Old Style, 1748. Dear boy, your schoolfellow, Lord Pulteney, only child of the right Honourable William Pulteney, Earl of Bath, who died before his father, set out last week for Holland, and will, I believe, be at Leipzig soon after this letter. You will take care to be extremely civil to him, and to do him any service that you can while you stay there. Let him know that I wrote to you to do so. As being older, he should know more than you. In that case, take pains to get up to him. But if he does not, take care not to let him feel his inferiority. He will find it out of himself without your endeavours, and that cannot be helped. But nothing is more insulting, more mortifying, and less forgiven, than avowedly to take pains to make a man feel a mortifying inferiority in knowledge, rank, fortune, etc. In the last two articles it is unjust, they not being in his power, and in the first it is both ill-bred and ill-natured. Good breeding and good nature do incline us rather to raise and help people up to ourselves, than to mortify and depress them, and in truth our own private interest concurs in it, as it is making ourselves so many friends instead of so many enemies. The constant practice of what the French call les attentions is a most necessary ingredient in the art of pleasing. They flatter the self-love of those to whom they are shown. They engage, they captivate, more than things of much greater importance. The duties of social life every man is obliged to discharge, but these attentions are voluntary acts. The free-will offerings of good breeding and good nature, they are received, remembered, and returned as such. Women particularly have a right to them, and any omission in that respect is downright ill-breeding. Do you employ your whole time in the most useful manner? I do not mean, do you study all day long, nor do I require it. But I mean, do you make the most of the respective allotment of your time? While you study, is it with attention? When you divert yourself, is it with spirit? Your diversions may, if you please, employ some part of your time very usefully. It depends entirely upon the nature of them. If they are futile and frivolous, it is time worse than lost, for they will give you an habit of futility. All gaming, field-sports, and such sort of amusements, where neither the understanding nor the senses have the least share, I look upon as frivolous, and as the resources of little minds, who either do not think, or do not love to think. But the pleasures of a man of parts either flatter the senses or improve the mind. I hope, at least, that there is not one minute of the day in which you do nothing at all inaction at your age is unpardonable. Tell me what Greek and Latin books you can now read with ease. Can you open Demosthenes at a venture and understand him? Can you get through an oration of Cicero or a satire of Horace without difficulty? What German books do you read, to make yourself master of that language? 
And what French books do you read for your amusement? Pray give me a particular and true account of all this, for I am not indifferent as to any one thing that relates to you. As, for example, I hope you take great care to keep your whole person, particularly your mouth, very clean. Common decency requires it, besides that great cleanliness is very conducive to health. But if you do not keep your mouth excessively clean, by washing it carefully every morning and after every meal, it will not only be apt to smell, which is very disgusting and indecent, but your teeth will decay and ache, which is both a great loss and a great pain. A spruceness of dress is also very proper and becoming at your age, as the negligence of it implies an indifference about pleasing, which does not become a young fellow. To do whatever you do at all to the utmost perfection ought to be your aim at this time of your life. If you can reach perfection, so much the better, but at least by attempting it you will get much nearer than if you never attempted it at all. Adieu. Speak gracefully and distinctly if you intend to converse ever with yours. P.S. As I was making up my letter, I received yours of the sixth old style. I like your dissertation upon preliminary articles and truces. Your definitions of both are true. Those are matters which I would have you be master of. They belong to your future department. But remember, too, that they are matters upon which you will much oftener have occasion to speak than to write, and that, consequently, it is full as necessary to speak more gracefully and distinctly upon them as to write clearly and elegantly. I find no authority among the ancients, nor indeed among the moderns, for indistinct and unintelligible utterance. The oracles, indeed, meant to be obscure, but then it was by the ambiguity of the expression and not by the inarticulation of the words. For if people had not thought, at least, they understood them, they would neither have frequented nor presented them as they did. There was likewise among the ancients, and still is among the moderns, a sort of people called ventriloquy, who speak from their bellies, on making the voice seem to come from some other part of the room than where they are. But these ventriloquy speak very distinctly and intelligibly. The only thing, then, that I can find like a precedent for your way of speaking— and I would willingly help you to one if I could, is the modern art de persifleur, practised with great success by the Petit Matre at Paris. This noble art consists in picking out some grave, serious man, who neither understands nor expects raillery, and talking to him very quick, and inarticulate sounds, while the man, who thinks that he did not hear well, or attend sufficiently, says, Monsieur, or Platille, a hundred times, which affords matter of much mirth to these ingenious gentlemen. Whether you would follow this precedent, I submit to you. Have you carried no English or French comedies or tragedies with you to Leipzig? If you have, I insist upon your reciting some passages of them every day to Mr. Hart, in the most distinct and graceful manner, as if you were acting them upon a stage. The first part of my letter is more than an answer to your questions concerning Lord Pulteney. End of section 22. Read by Professor Heather and By. For more free audiobooks or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org.